the study of the human body and of medicine has always been fascinating to me. My knowledge and my understanding is so little that often when I hear about new statistics or discoveries or success stories, I just kind of sit back and marvel about the fact that we are fearfully and, and wonderfully made. Modern medicine yields so many benefits to the, to the human race. Think about all the testing that is, that is available to us. All the testing that is available to bring about a diagnosis. Lab tests and, and our reflexes and, and scopes and genetics and imaging of all sorts. Those tests serve multiple purposes. The tests often reveal what's going on inside. Tell us what's happening inside the body. And those tests influence how a patient would move forward. Um, how the patient lives uh, in, in the future as a result of the tests. Maybe a new diet is necessary. Certain activities are to be avoided. Specific medications are needed. Whatever the case may be. The tests reveal and the tests give guidance. Prayer is often like that. Prayer reveals what's going on on the inside. Prayer manifests, shows the hearts, the, the priorities of our hearts, and prayer calls for certain actions on the outside. It calls us to live in a certain way. Please join me again in another study from the first chapter of Romans. So if you haven't found that in that spot in your copy of the Scriptures, would you please find Romans chapter 1? It's page 791 of the Pew Bible. Romans is an epistle. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Jews and Gentiles who had gathered and, and organized themselves. They were born again and they were residing in the city of Rome. Mostly, we believe this church was, was, was made up of Gentiles, but certainly there were Jewish converts there as well. We believe that he wrote the, the epistle of, of Romans from Corinth probably some 25 to 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he wasn't far removed from the incarnation. Paul wasn't like hundreds and hundreds of years later. He was right there 25 to 30 years after the resurrection. He wrote the epistle. He, he writes to these, these believers to strengthen them, to establish them, to confirm that they need the righteousness they need a righteousness that they didn't actually have. They needed God's righteousness. They could only have God's righteousness through the work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. So Paul will teach them over these 16 chapters all about the undeserved, unmatched, and unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. It's important that each of us be reminded that every human being, that all of us are in need of a righteousness that we don't have. A righteousness that we cannot obtain on our own. There's only one way to have that righteousness, God's righteousness. It's through Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, I have the righteousness of God. Do you? It's a question that we all must consider. Paul uses the first section of his epistle to, to, to focus on the priority of that gospel. And we have 
learned that the gospel, what a gospel-prioritized life looks like. We've been talking about this over the last several weeks. A gospel-prioritized life is, first of all, God's work. It's not something that we can work on our own. It's, it's something that God is doing. He has given us this good news. A, a life that is prioritized around the gospel is, is Christocentric. It's all about what Jesus has done. Jesus Christ our Lord, the Apostle Paul says. And a gospel-prioritized life is evidenced by its prayers. And we see this in verses 8 through 13. We began thinking about this last week, and that's where we're going to be this week as well. It's all kinds of encouraging, isn't it? It's all kinds of encouraging to know that someone is praying for you. It's humbling, it's comforting, and it's hopeful to know that another brother or sister in Christ is praying for you. We're observing Paul's prayer for those to whom he is writing. Last week we noted that Paul, Paul was teaching us to pray with thanksgiving, that, that praying with thanksgiving for gospel faith. So when you don't really know how to pray for a brother or sister in Christ in your connection group, give thanks that they have faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul was thanking God for the faith of these, these believers in Rome. He was also praying with diligence for gospel fellowship. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to have this communion with them. He wanted to be with them. And today, we'll see two additional ways in which the apostle pray, prayed. Would you please follow along as I begin reading from Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for the sake of his name, among whom are all ye also called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's Paul's prayer. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now that I at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of yours and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the, to the unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's vital as we study this text in these opening 
verses, that we not view these, this opening as just introductory data to be observed. It's not only a prayer that taught the Romans or a description of a prayer that taught the Romans. It's also to teach us in 2020. In other words, if we are living a life that is prioritized by the gospel, then our prayers should have some of these same characteristics. Our, our prayers should reflect the same gospel emphasis that we find here in Paul's prayer. Brothers and sisters, you and I are called to foster a prayer life that reflects the priority of the gospel in our hearts and in our life. Our prayers reveal the priorities of our hearts and our prayers direct the actions of our life. We see that the Apostle Paul, in the third place, was praying with desire for gospel fruits. We see this all the way through in this section, but especially in verse 13. In verse number 9, he tells us he's praying without ceasing. In verse number 10, he's praying that he would be able to come. In verse number 11, he says, I long to see you. Why? Why does he long to see them? Verse 11, so that he can impart a spiritual gift to them, to strengthen them, to establish them. He's comforted together. He's mutually encouraged in verse number 12. And then he says all of that in verse number 13, I wouldn't have you be ignorant that I might get, have some fruit among you in order that I might have some fruit among you even among uh, the other Gentiles. We hear the apostles' desire. Paul's heartbeat, if you will, is that this message about Jesus would be known abroad, and that that same message that he wants to be known abroad would fortify, would strengthen, would establish the faith of the Christians from Rome. And he wants to do that while he's on his way to Spain. So the Apostle Paul prays that these Jews and Gentiles who have been saved would grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. His prayer for them that he is describing to them his, his prayer for them reveals how he prioritizes the gospel in his life. And his prayer guides what he's going to do because the gospel is a priority in his life. He's going to pray in that direction, and then he's going to go, and he's going to minister, and he's going to serve. That's his heartbeat. He's praying for the gospel to yield fruits of saving faith in unbelievers and the gospel to yield, yield fruit of sanctifying faith in believers. Note a couple of, of characteristics of this idea of his desire that he's praying for gospel fruits. First, we see that there, he's praying for a mutual edification, right? This was the whole deal. Both parties, Paul and the, the, the Christians in Rome, would be built up. His strong desire, his passion to come to them was not because he wanted to just make some social call. He just didn't want to hang out with the Christians in Rome. This wasn't about... Uh, just chit-chat after a worship service or being able to get a selfie with them to post on Instagram for to being with all the Christians at Rome. He wasn't into that yet. No, Paul wants to see gospel fruits. Paul was praying that he could impart to them, give to them a spiritual gift to make them strong. Friends, let's not forget that this was the, one of the original purposes of the letter that he's writing to them. And it holds true for us today. God uses this letter, this epistle, so that our souls would be strengthened, so that we will be established, so that there will be sanctifying fruits 
among us as God's children today. That we too can grow in maturity and in our faith and in our conformity to Christ. Growth in Christ is a fruit of the gospel's work. So here we are getting a peek into the hearts of the apostle. We see his motives for writing and, and planning to visit with them. He wanted them to grow, to mature, to be strengthened. He prays to that end, and then he plans to that end, to come to be with them. He wanted, the, the, the scripture, the text says he wants to, wanted to impart a spiritual gift to them. It is a, a divinely empowered spiritual benefits that would come through his preaching ministry, through his teaching ministry, through how he exhorted them and comforted them and prayed with them while he was present with them and, and guided them and discipled them. In other words, Paul's face-to-face ministry would help them along in their spiritual journey. That word in verse number, verse number 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That word means built up. It means edified. Establishing them in confidence and in their maturity in, in their faith in Jesus. We get the same idea when we, when we read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, into the head who is Christ. It's talking about the, that spiritual maturity process that God is calling us to. Friends, that is all of us. That's not just new Christians. That's all of us. We are all in need of growing up into Christ. All of us need to be established more, strengthened more, built up more. All of us need strengthened in our walk with the Lord. God has designed Christianity that we help one another out by building one another up. Brothers and sisters, let's spend more time, let's spend more energy on building one another up in our faith than we do separating from one another. Let's work towards mutual edification. Friends, we live in a world that is, that is constant in its criticism of others. That's contrary to the word of God. Choose to use the truth of God to build up the child of God. So Christian, where's your heart? Where's your heart at, at seeing people grow in their faith, in being established, in being strengthened? Is that the burden of your heart? Is that the desire of your heart? Is that what guides your prayers? That you're praying for others to be strengthened in their faith. Connection group relationships, we're we're, we're encouraged by those relationships. And we want to encourage you to to continue to develop and to, to foster a welcoming attitude towards those relationships. Those relationships that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ should yield prayers for others, prayers that reveal that we're, we're, we're prioritizing the gospel in our heart, prayers that are asking God to strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ, to be established in their faith. Paul prayed that his fellowship with the Romans would be mutually edifying. But serving one another in a way that is, tru- that is truly mutually beneficial is not always easy, is it? And that leads us into a second characteristic that is part of the equation of Paul's prayer for his desire for gospel fruit. And this is his personal humility. I was thinking this week as I was studying, wouldn't it be cool to talk to the Apostle Paul? 
the Apostle Paul found a time machine and jumped ahead to, to 2020. And he came and visited us. He walked into this building at 1015 on some Sunday morning. You want to know who's not going to be preaching that day? This guy. Instead, I'm going to start the service like I do each week and sing my, my heart out in praise to God and pray for the Spirit to move among us. And then I'm going to sit myself down right there on the front pew and I'm going I'm to shut my mouth and I'm going to listen to the Apostle Paul teach. Why? Because he's the Apostle Paul. I mean, I'd ask him to preach even though he doesn't even know what a, what a necktie is or what the letters KJV mean. He's the Apostle Paul. And here's where the text took a surprising turn for me. Paul doesn't give us that vibe, does he? We don't get the idea here that, he's, that he thinks that he's the prince of preachers. In fact, he says it outright. He says that we may be mutually encouraged. He says that both together, but we be mutually comforted together, verse 12, with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. Paul is telling the church at Rome that they have something to teach him, that he can learn from them. He's saying that he can learn from Christians that he's never even met before. He's never even been face to face with. In fact, this isn't the only time in Romans that he makes that prayer. He says the same thing at the end of the book, in chapter 15, verse 30. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me, to work together with me in our prayers to God on my behalf, verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. The apostle bookends his letter with a prayer that these Roman Christians would be established. And it was not only for their spiritual well-being and their progress, but for his as well. He's looking to be strengthened, established, as a result of his time with these brothers and sisters in Rome. That is a display of personal humility by the greatest apostle of all time. He wanted to learn from others. Paul. We read of his religious resume several places in the New Testament. Paul thought he could learn from these Christians that he had never met before. Friends, we're not going to learn anything if we aren't willing to accept and be receptive of help from others. Even if we think we know more than they do. You can learn, I can learn something from anyone. We see this as our kids grow up, don't we? We're struggling with a problem on our iPhone. And our kid, kid grabs it out of our hand and says, Doot, 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 doot. Hey, do this and this. And bam, it's fixed. That's humbling, isn't it? We don't want to look at ourselves as some kind of old fogey and not understand uh, what, what's going on with technology. We want to handle our own problems. It takes humility to receive instruction from someone else. Humility receives help from others. You don't have all the answers. You have some of the answers. You don't know all the best ways to help me. You know some of the best ways to help me. You can't be my savior. 
You can be the means that my Savior uses to help me. Let's foster a heart that, that listens and welcomes and receives. Now, I get it. We need to, to filter all of that. We can't just accept everything that anyone says without seeing how it stands to the Word of God. But we can humbly receive help from others, help that establishes us, that strengthens us in our faith. So Christian, receive help from those whose experience and wisdom and gifts exceed your experience, wisdom, and gifts. Christian, likewise, receive help from those who have less experience, less wisdom, and less giftedness than you have. Paul could have said, okay, I'm coming. I'm going to come to you, and we're going to have a, a three-day mission conference where I sit you down and preach to you for three times a day. But instead, he says, I'm, going to, I'm hoping to come to you so that you can learn from me and so that I can learn from you. Paul's desire for gospel fruit was clearly seen in his description of this prayer. He wanted to reap some harvest among the recipients of this letter, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, and we're going to come to that next Lord's Day, Lord willing. It reminds me of what Jesus said in, in John's Gospel, chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Be reminded that no human being is without the need of being built up. You may look to a pastor or to a teacher or to a grandparent or to a national leader and think, wow, they're good to go. They got it together. Paul teaches otherwise. Nobody has arrived. We need the mutual encouragement, the mutual edification of one another, and that requires personal humility. Friends, there's not room for this attitude of spiritual superiority. That is not how God has instructed us to live this Christian life. That doesn't follow the example of Christ as he displayed this humility over and over and over again. Teenagers, you are not superior and therefore not needing the help of others because of the schooling choice you make. You, you homeschool or because you go to a Christian school or you go, go to a public school. You, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean you don't need help anymore. You're not outside the need of spiritual assistance from others because you are a Bible quizzer or because you're not a Bible quizzer, because you go to summer camp or you don't go to summer camp. This is an important aspect of understanding the humility that Paul has called us to. Adults, let us not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We are established. We are strengthened by those with, with more conservative or less conservative choices on Christian liberty matters. You can learn from a Christian that listens to Christian music that you don't listen to. You can learn from someone that didn't go to seminary even though you did. Do you see the point? Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. Do we enjoy the company of all Christians or must they be of a particular type? Highly intelligent, dressed in a certain way, use our preferred Bible translation, participate in certain church activities, have a certain social status, etc. So I ask us, the people of Harvest Bible Church this morning, do we enjoy the company of all Christians? 
as Paul has implied here in this passage. All of us are to keep in mind the motivation for ministry as seen in Paul's prayer. The evangelization of the lost and the maturing of saints. So we are called to pray to that end. We live to that end. Pray for gospel fruits and then ask God to use you to bring it about. Go live it out. Our prayers reveal the priorities of our hearts and our prayers direct the actions of our life. So Paul was praying with a desire for gospel fruits. And lastly, in this section, we see that Paul was praying with submission to gospel plans. Look at verse number 13. Now I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto. I would come to you in order that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Paul has been waiting for God to make it possible for him to go to, at long last to make this journey to Rome on his way to Spain. This was the apostle's heart desire. And friends, it was a good desire. It was a godly desire. It's a, a, it's a gospel prioritized desire, isn't it? We've already seen this. And that's why we find it, we, what we find here is some disappointment. Paul expresses his disappointment to how the gospel plan of him to visit Rome has, has thus unfolded. He's been hindered so far. That parenthetical uh, phrase there, it says, but was let hitherto. It's kind of vague. It's, it's best to understand it as, I've been prevented from doing so up until now. I've been prevented. So, like when I'm running late, when I'm you know, coming home from work, and I say, honey, I'm on my way home from work. I, I was sure I was, was going to be on time, but I was let hitherto. We don't say let hitherto. We say, I was prevented. There was a, there was a cow in the road, or... Um, Alabama was singing Song of the South on the radio and I had to listen to the whole song or I stopped for some sweet tea or something. But I was, I was prevented from being there. My plans did not unfold as I intended. Paul's desire for, for gospel fruits is true and genuine. But his plan is ultimately submitted to God's gospel plan. Paul submits himself and his proposals uh, are absolutely and utterly uh, submitted to the will of God. So being let hitherto, being prevented, presupposes God's hand was at work. Maybe he was prevented from going to Rome because of other missionary responsibilities. I get that. You get that, right? I'm always thinking of, of different ideas, ministry opportunities for harvest. And my imagination just kind of goes wild of things that we could do and ways that we can encourage HBCers or attempts at reaching our neighborhood. But we only have certain amount of days in a, in a certain amount of hours in a day and we only have certain amount of resources so we're we're limited in, in some ways prevented in other ways in other words Paul made some good plans but God had a better idea and Paul was going to roll he was going to obey he was going to submit to God's plan that's actually a bigger deal than it may appear on the surface remember way back in verse verse 9 Paul says he makes mention of these Christians without ceasing in his prayers Always asking God to let him go to Rome. Verse 11, he uses that word long. Paul was intent on getting to Rome, so much so that he prayed over and over and over again that God would bring it to pass. He's often intended to come to them. Maybe he even set out to do so, but then he was prevented. He was let hitherto from doing so. 
So for Paul to write to the Roman Christians and acknowledge both his intent and God's superseding of his intent, we see that Paul is praying with submission to the gospel's plan. Paul accepts the hindrances that are parts of this plan. Friends, this is an important aspect to the teaching of God's guidance. Sometimes God guides us. Sometimes God shows us what his plan is for us by the means of hindrances. We are not able to get free to go do something or to make a purchase, whatever the case may be. Sometimes God guides us by means of hindrances. Paul had been called to go evangel- to unevangelized areas, to go and to speak the news. Paul had so much unevangelized territory to cover that he had not yet been able to get to Rome. His desire for gospel fruits, that wasn't a neutral thing, was it? It was good. It was a good desire. His desire for gospel fruit was a God-glorifying desire. But God delayed Paul from going to Rome even though the Apostle Paul desired to go for the sake of the gospel. Have you prayed for something over and over and over again? Maybe a health need, a strained relationship, financial provision? Have you given multiple days in a row to praying for the same item? Maybe week after week, maybe even years of asking God to heal your body from such and such, to mend a relationship, to provide for something that you think you need? Are there some deep desires of your heart that you have given much prayer to? Is there a life circumstance that you've prayed for God to change? So much so that you can't remember a time, you can't remember a situation when it wasn't a matter of prayer for you. I'm talking about biblical desires. I'm talking about God-honoring requests. The salvation of a loved one. God does not desire, God does not desire that anyone should perish. So you're praying over and over and over again for someone to be saved. A life companion. God said it is not good for a man to be alone. You've prayed over and over and over again. Children. Blessed are those whose quiver is full. You've prayed over and over and over again. You've had the desire to go into full-time ministry. You know that God's Word tells us to go into all the world, make disciples of all the world, preaching Christ, baptizing, the name in the, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you get annoyed at God? Do you get grieved with God? Do you begin to doubt that God is with you? Have you become cynical and claimed that there's no purpose? To your prayers? Friend, see the prayer, how Paul describes his prayer. He kept praying without ceasing, making mention always in his prayer, asking that somehow by God's will, he may now at last succeed in coming to them. There's an important lesson about prayer tucked here into verse number 13 for each of us as God's children. God's plans are final. Ours are not. God's plans are best. God's plans are rooted in omniscience. Our plans are rooted in a limited knowledge. God rules sovereignly 
over all. We do not. For your good and for God's glory, keep praying. But do so with the understanding that if you are let hitherto, if you are prevented, God does know best. In regards to praying for the desires of your heart, let's remember that Paul did eventually get to Rome, but not as he would have chosen. He went to Rome as a prisoner. He was arrested. The Jews tried to kill him in Jerusalem. The Roman soldiers saved him to put him on trial. And as a Roman citizen, Paul had the the right, the privilege to, to appeal unto Caesar. And so eventually he arrived in Rome as a prisoner of the emperor. Not at all as he had probably imagined or prayed. The book of Philippians tells us that the gospel spread throughout the guards and even the highest levels of the government. So actually, Paul's prayers were indeed answered, just not in the way he thought they would be answered. Prayers for the salvation of others don't always result with an encouraging testimony of faith as one prepares to enter into the waters of baptism. Prayers for children don't always result in a healthy baby. Prayers for a life companion don't always result in standing before a minister to make wedding vows. Prayers for entering into full-time ministry don't always result in moving into a a third-world nation to proclaim Christ. And Paul teaches us that's okay. That's no problem. Unanswered prayers teach us that we are not as necessary to the work we are praying as we think we are. Unanswered prayers teach us that we are not as necessary to the work for which we are praying as we think we are. God very well may have other work for us to do. Pastor James Montgomery Boyce said it this way, if you are praying for something and God is not answering, he's not answering your request with a yes, Ask what you can accomplish in the meantime and give yourself to that. It does not mean that God may not give you what you are asking for eventually, but in the meantime, you will be doing good work. We know this principle. We've seen this principle lived out in the lives of of good Christian men and women throughout history. I think of Corey Ten Boom. I think of Nancy Lee DeMoss Wagamuth. I think of the missionary John Payton and many others who begged and begged and begged God for something. And God either gave them the desires of their heart or changed the desires of their heart. But meanwhile, they were doing good, gospel-furthering work. Brothers and sisters, are you praying with a submission to the gospel plan? When hindrances to your plans arise, what is your response? There is much to be done where God has placed you right now. So, just as an x-ray or a test in a lab can reveal what's happening inside of your body and also determine the next course of action for your health, your prayers reveal the priorities of your heart and guide you in your walk with the Lord. Verses 8-13 through are a call from these verses that, that Christians are to be praying with thanksgiving for gospel faith. God, thank you that you've given faith to this individual. We're to be praying with diligence for gospel fellowship, longing to be with one another, longing to encourage one another, 
praying with a desire for gospel fruit, that, that it would happen evangelistically, and would happen as we are strengthened, established in our faith. We have to be praying with a submission to gospel plans, even accepting hindrances that might, be, that might arise in our own personal plans. Our prayers reveal the priorities of our hearts, and our prayers direct the actions of our life. We come in prayer to a one that is able to do all things. With God, all things are possible. May God help us to pray with this in mind. We come in prayer through Jesus Christ, the one, the only one, who is the way to God. So may God make us a people of prayer, a congregation that prioritizes the gospel, its advancement in this world, and its effect in our day-to-day living. May God help us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.